I just, uh, I, I thought, I prayed about getting into a series on the gifts of the Spirit, and that's needed and necessary and no doubt coming. But uh, as I pressed in, waited on God, I felt strongly impressed. I know we've been, uh, you know, in a, in a vein on these Wednesday night for a number of months, really all year, either on faith for healing or faith for prosperity. Hey, sir, welcome home. God bless you, Kevin. Amen. I know it's been quite a, quite a journey for you. <laughs> Amen. You get one service to fall asleep in church, and that's it. That's it. Okay. All right. <laughs> He's on his post. One of our veterans right there. Um, anyway, God bless you. And so anyway, uh, where was I? Talking about money. You know, a lot of preachers don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Uh, they don't want to talk about offerings. It, they act like they're ashamed of it. We're like the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. And yet every day of our life we have to deal with it. Every day of our life. And, uh, but anyway, like I said, we've been floating around on those subjects. But I'm going to begin a specific series tonight, I believe, with the Lord's help. And we're going to call it Qualified for Increase. Amen. Qualified for Increase. And because of the fact that for all the body of Christ, of which we are a part, time is so short. Time is so short, and yet, from what the prophets have said, what we know is coming, if you have any sensitivity in you, the stirring of your heart, that there must be much accomplished and much more done and much more wrought before we are caught away. And God said, I will do a short, I will do a quick work in the earth. And so, you know, things are accelerating, and... I, I just know and believe firmly in my heart that God is going to, like I said a moment ago, accelerate the plan of God for this church to help us accomplish our small part in this big plan that God has for the earth in, in our little, you know, assigned sphere. And uh, it, it, whatever part it is, uh, it, it, you know, it's no doubt small compared to what all that God's doing in the planet. Uh, amen. But to me, it's big. And it, to me, it, it's my part. It's our part. And so, to me, it's a big deal. And uh, praise God. Well, I believe because of the acceleration, the, the building, I, I haven't even begun to talk. I'm, I'm, believe with me for the right engineers, the right architect. But I do, I do have increasing peace about uh, building a multi-purpose building back here uh, that would be for the daycare and the church, uh, a commercial kitchen, a very nice gymnasium, regulation hardcore, a lot of indoor space for activities for the church and for the uh, daycare, uh, and classrooms, walking track. It's just going to be a wonderful life experience uh, and give us, you know, I got this word. Can I just talk a minute? I, I just got this word from God through Pastor Nancy during the Miracle Crusade about, it was kind of just really threw me for a loop. He said, you need, she, the Spirit of God said, you need to do more. Not that you're not doing anything, but you need to do more in raising up young men. Well, the more things we can do with young men, like, I don't know, get, get them in, teach them basketball and about Jesus and, I don't know, all this kind of stuff. God's just going to give us the tools. He's going to give us the tools. Well, you know, uh, uh, all of that that we have in our heart uh, to do for that facility, what would that cost? You know, in an environment where you could spend three hundred dollars a square foot, <laughs> two point five million, three. Hallelujah! Look around, look around. Where's two point five three million going to come from? 
Well, we don't know. God could, God could bypass us altogether. He could bypass us altogether. You know, Dr. Dufresne, he, the people in his church, uh, well, they, in that group, they wouldn't cooperate. The money was in the church. They just wouldn't give it. And Dr. Dufresne you know, was pastoring at that time. He's going to lose his building. Well, God sent two angels down there. And he sent him into this business guy's room and wouldn't leave him alone. And finally, he didn't know Dr. Dufresne. You know, he'd been in a meeting. He said, didn't even like his preaching. He told him, I don't even like your preaching. But there's been two men in my room that won't leave me alone, and they keep telling me to give you $500,000. That's total about what they gave. You know, first installment, $125,000. And then a little bit later, they paid it off. We call them the Taco Bell Angels. Because Doctor's Church, that building was a former Taco Bell headquarter kind of a building. Uh, so God could send a couple of angels down to a multimillionaire, amen, who just needs a good tax write-off, just doesn't know where to put it, and just bypass the whole, all of us. I'd rather not be bypassed. I'd rather be a part. Amen. Well, long story short, he's going to need to really grace and accelerate us in the area of increase. And he wants to. WHC, he wants to increase all of his people. You know, before uh, God removed the Hebrew children from Egyptian bondage, he paid them. He, he paid them on their way out. They did not leave Egypt broke. They loaded, they left loaded down. Read your Bible, loaded down. What was that? 400 years of suffering and severance pay. That's what that was. Back pay. They got at the end. And I, you know, there's a, there's a last day revival. There's a last day harvest. And part of it is in funding and finance. But here's the thing. God cannot, and he will not, add to our life, financially and materially, uh, if, if it will hurt us. You know, uh, well, I don't, you know, we all have our we all have our deal. You know, things we like, and uh, you know, uh, let's bring up my son Rex. You know, he 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 would just love like a fifteen car garage filled with high end Lamborghini. You know, just nice cars. But you know, God doesn't care anything about that. He's not against that. That was very weak. And so we'll, I'll be coming back to that. But anyway, the the thing is. God cannot and He will not add anything to your life that would take you away from Him. You want a boat? Then He wants you to have a boat. If He knows that boat wouldn't take you away from Him. He'd love you to have, you want a vacation home for your family? You want a lake house, you want a mountain house, you want whatever you're, He don't, he don't care. He can get you that. But if he did, would we never see you in church again because you're, at the, you're there every weekend? See what I mean? God wants, and let me say this, he needs. The plan of God needs you and I to prosper and to increase greatly. But we have to demonstrate to him we can handle it. Brother Norval Hayes made this statement. He said, very few people are big enough for big money. Very few people are big enough, what does he mean, inside, for big money. 
In other words, if big money came to them, it would destroy them. I mean, if all your debts got smitten and wiped out, and you came into $3 million, I want to ask you a sincere question. Would I ever see you again? <laughs> would, you be, would you be in your helps ministry position? Would you still come and pray? Or would you be somewhere spending your ship-come-in money? I'm serious. Amen. Well, we can, we can give ourselves a quick A-plus on these things, but God knows the truth. God knows the truth. Psalm 35, verse 27. Amen. Uh, you're there, but I'm not, so let me get there. Glory to God. One of the things that we must be firmly, firmly established in is that it's God's will. It's God's will for you to prosper. It's God's will for you to prosper a lot. It's God's will for you to prosper uh, till you hit abundance. Now, I thought this church was more established in it, but by your response, you know, I'm not sure that you're sure. Amen. Amen. Psalm 35, verse number 27. The Bible says, Let them shout for joy and be glad. Come on. Hallelujah. (laughs) Let them shout for joy and be glad. Why? Those that favor, notice this, my righteous cause. Now, he's about to address prosperity, but it is predicated by Uh, a stipulation that you are in favor of God's cause. That you're interested in advancing the kingdom of God. You're interested in more than you're for. Some people, they, they have no vision beyond their little bit. And church, that's not not a big deal. It's a bigger deal than we've allowed ourselves to think it to be. It is so selfish. You think God is going to open the floodgates of prosperity on someone who's selfish? He won't. He won't. And we have got to let the Lord help us to expand our dream and our vision and our passion for more than what I need or want. Amen. So, let them shout for joy and be glad. Them that favor my righteous cause, yes, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Who takes pleasure, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Come on, is this a scripture? Do you believe the Bible? Pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, listen guys, it's about this whole Old Testament thing. God is the same God. It's not like we have a different God. We have a different covenant. And the Bible calls that different covenant a new covenant, a better covenant. We don't have time to go there. Hebrews 8, 6, that 
uh, the new covenant is a better covenant established upon better promises. Now, I've got a place I'm trying to get to tonight, so, but uh, it'd be up to you. In, in your heart and in your response, it's just, it's just up to you. You can only go, it's like Reverend Siegel said, as far as you'll go, that's as far as we can go. Right. <laughs> Who is the God? Was it God that so blessed David that he said in Psalm 23, I, I lack nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't lack anything. And he fills my, he causes my cup to what? Run over. So is God a running over God? Is he a run over God or a run out God? Think about, think about Luke 6, 38. Give and it shall be withheld from you. No, give and it, you, it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running out. Did it say running out or running over? Come on, what kind of God are we serving here? Is he a run out God or a running over God? He's a running over God. Peter lent his boat to Jesus for a few hours. And when he gave it back, Jesus is going to pay his bill. And he said, launch out into the deep and let out your nets for a catch. Peter had enough faith to let out one net. And he hauled in a great draught of fishes. So much so that his net began to break and his boats began to sink. Is it God? Is it God? That gave Peter so many fishes that is, did he give him a net stretching, boat sinking harvest? Is that, is that, the, is that God? Is that, the, is that God? Is that our God? God so blessed Solomon. They had so much wealth. He put billions with a B in the temple. Billions with a B. And they had so much prosperity, they piled up silver out back as waste. Piles of silver like dense grade gravel. They didn't know what to do with it. Who did that? Is that God or is that the devil? So here's my thing, guys. When did God change? When did the God of the Bible change? When did God become anti-prosperity? Because if you listen to the church world, God is not taking pleasure in our prosperity, especially in the churches and especially preachers. We have to be very careful, church, about where we got our ideas and what, we're, what we got our beliefs from. We must be very careful. You know, there is a, a Christian group. It's called a Catholic group. I'm not anything against them, but, you know, they, you know, they believe that Peter was the first pope, right? That's right. And, uh, but they... they have a belief that uh, their priests should be celibate and not be married and not have a lot of money. Yeah. 
So, but here's the thing. They say Peter's the first pope. Peter is married. I have scripture for that. Matthew chapter 8 says that Jesus went into Peter's wife's mother's house where she was sick and raised her up. Peter had a wife. Peter had a wife. Peter had a house. He did. Peter had a wife. Peter had a house. So when did God decide that ministers should not be married? Well, about a thousand years ago, a council of men decided. The Bible says that traditions of men have rendered the word of God of none effect. And there's been so much religious tradition passed down. At what point did God change his mind about prosperity? And I want scripture. I want chapter and verse. Because I can get real deep, real deep, real deep in the New Testament. 3 John 2, that's real deep. Real deep in the New Testament. And it says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. See, it's His will. I said, it is His will. Don't let anybody tell you different. Okay. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we'll, we'll try to... I'm going to have to just kind of... To get where I, I want to go tonight... Um, you know, just kind of leave you there. And if you don't know that it's God's will, then you need to go out and get my book from the bookstore called A Prosperous Journey. Or you need to get Reverend Siegel's two books, Rich and Richer. And between those two books, he gives 25, it takes two books to go through 25 Bible reasons why it's God's will for you and I to be rich. Meaning to have an abundant supply. Amen. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was so very rich, amen, though he was rich, yet for your sakes. Whose sakes? Come on, he did this for our sakes. He became poor, that you, through his poverty, might, be rich. Listen, don't tell me it's not His will. He died to, to make it available. He became poor so that we might be rich. Pastor, that's talking about spiritually rich. No, it's not. Read the, read the context. Read the scriptures before. Read the scriptures after. He's talking about offerings. He's talking about money. He's talking about stuff. So, is it God's will, based on 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for us to be rich? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, well, let's find out. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll read a scripture and we'll, we'll ask and see if you still think this. I'm going to read you what is going to appear to be like a glaring contradiction to what we just read. 
and segue into the first thing I want to talk about, about qualifying for increase. Y'all got a few more minutes? I, I, know, I know what time it is. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You won't offend me if you got to go. Got to go, you got to go. 1 Timothy chapter 6, pick it up with me in verse number oh, 3. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, Perverse disputings of men. Notice what kind of people we're talking about. Men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Now he's going to tell you something that this kind of guy thinks. You ready? Someone with a perverse disputing, a man of a corrupt mind, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is Godliness. This is a man destitute of the truth. He's got a corrupt mind and he supposes that gain or increase is godly or godliness. You starting to feel uncomfortable yet? Okay. All right. Let's keep reading. Supposing that gain is godliness from such people, you know, I'm putting that in there, withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain or increase. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Now that ought to be obvious, is that right? How many millions did you have in your hand when you popped out? Did you pop out in an Armani suit? You were born naked with nothing. How much of what we got or accumulate are we taking with us to heaven? When was the last time you saw a hearse behind a U-Haul? A U-Haul behind a hearse, that's what I meant to say. You know what I mean. Amen. It's like a little kid looked up at, uh, looked up at his daddy at grandpa's funeral and goes, Daddy, how much did grandpa leave? And dad looks down and smiles and said, all of it. <laughs> all of it. Is this true? Okay. And having food and raiment are close. Okay. Having food or raiment, let us therewith, with that, be content. You got food? Got clothes? What's all this talk about rich then? This says that with food and clothes you should be content. Okay, it's getting quieter. Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, became poor, that you, through His poverty, might be rich. Those that would be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, which is destruction upon destruction. Perdition means destruction. Okay, riddle me this. Is our Bible in direct contradiction with itself? You read Timothy and on the surface it looks like it says, if you will to be rich, you're headed down. And yet, we know what kind of God. We got a Bible full of God lavishing abundance upon His people. Well, we got to figure this out. I said we got to figure this out. Let me read some of this passage in Timothy in the uh, Amplified Bible. And so, picking it up in verse number 5, it says, in With protracted wrangling, or being argumentative, wearing discussion and perpetual friction among men who are corrupted in their minds, bereft of the truth, who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit, a money-making business, a means of livelihood. Okay, stop. Is the Christian life to be thought of as a way to get money? No. No. We know that's not right. Would you want me doing what I'm doing if I thought that doing it would make me wealthy? That I could use my position? If I could grow it big enough, I'd give myself a big fat salary, and that godliness is a means by which I can gain. Is that, something that, is that something that God endorses? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Amen. Then verse 6, Paul says, By the Spirit, and indeed, you know, it says in the Amplified, a source of immense profit. In other words, he's, really, he's saying that if you do live your Christian life right, it is indeed, it will bring tremendous profit in every area to your life. Amen? A godliness that is accompanied with contentment. That contentment, which is a sense of inward sufficiency, is great and abundant gain. So, you know, we can stumble. Philippians, Paul talks again about contentment. And it, it kind of looks like if you just read on the surface, you, you don't rightly divide the word, that if I have food and I have clothes, I should want no more. I should have no desire for anything else. I should be content. Well, that's going to contradict. I could give you 25 scriptures that would contradict that. The, here's what we should, what he's trying to get across to us in contentment is. Riches and abundance and increase 
is not going to add anything to your contentment. We should not look to money and things for contentment. On the inside of every human being, there's a God-sized hole. And you cannot fill that God-sized hole with an RV. You cannot fill it with a million dollar a year salary. You cannot fill it with Hollywood and fame. You you cannot fill a God-sized hole with a new car. Amen? When Amber and I moved here, it was sort of a lateral move for us financially. It was basically a lateral move. But because of financial mistakes that I had made, we took the opportunity when we moved here to take a step down. And so we, we were living in a brand new, it wasn't anything plush or anything, but it was a new home, about 1,400, 1,500 square feet. And we left that new home and we, we lived in a, it was clean, you know, a rented three-bedroom, two-car garage duplex. Much cheaper. Because we had to clean some stuff up financially. And, uh, and they were lean days back then. They were lean days financially back then. But do you know, inside me, I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy on that ripping burlap, you know, uh, Berber carpet and linoleum floor and plastic cabinet handles. It's not as nice, but it, I'm, I'm thrilled to be in the plan. I'm thrilled to be moving forward. I have God in my life. It's not about the money. You know, and I, uh, the truck I drive now versus the other vehicles I've had, I found out when I get in that truck, I'm the same me. I don't turn into Superman when I climb up into that truck. You know what I mean? And, and when, I was, when I was driving a, a, a little 90s Honda, when I was here, building this building, I, I'm content. I'm fulfilled. What he's trying to get across to us is, if you've got food and you've got clothes, you've got no excuse inside you to not be thrilled and content and happy because you've got God in your life. And there's a plan to be moving for. But it doesn't have anything to do with shunning increase. But we're not qualified for increase if we're not content right now. If you're agitated and you're not peaceful and you're upset because you want more than what you got, you're wrong. You're out of divine order. Amen. Whether you live in a little efficiency, uh, you know, rented apartment or living in your mama's basement. I mean, you got God in your life. You have a covenant. You got the Holy Ghost. You got the leading of the Spirit. You got the promises of God. You got the plan of God. You got the, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Your sins are forgiven. And there's no reason inside you that you should not be calm and peaceful and joyful and fulfilled. And it's only in this contented state that you're really qualified to go for more, to, to receive increase. Amen? Well, Pastor, what about this phrase? What about this phrase uh, in verse number nine? But they that will be rich. Well, if you have a, a something you can mark your Bible with, I have my King James here. Notice it says, "They that will be, they that will be rich." Circle that. Paul didn't write that in English. 
This is a translation of Greek. And it's real easy to skip over little words like will be. Amen. But this word will be in the Greek means to crave. It means to have an insatiable, idolatrous thirst to be rich materially. It's a lustful, covetous desire. It's not a healthy desire. You know, if you want more for your kids, you want more for your wife and family, that's not wrong. It's not wrong. But if you're carrying around an insatiable craving and your aim in life is, I will be rich, I will make $100,000, I will live in that neighborhood, you're, you're, you're wrong. You're not in a place where God, you might get it. The devil might help you get it. See, when we, when we, if I look at your stuff and you look at my stuff, it, it, whether you got a lot or little, it doesn't speak to anything because, you know, who knows how you got that stuff. Could have stole it, lied, you know, could have killed your mama, you know, I, cheated her out of her, you know, will or out of her estate. I mean, we don't know how you got what you got. It's not what you got that's the issue. It's how you got it. I said, it's how you got it. And going back to the Lamborghini, God does not care, but he cares about how you got it. And if you're willing to leave him and leave the plan and leave the kingdom and his assignment for your life to chase after stuff, then you fit this. And you're going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. And I've seen so many that have done that, called to the ministry, but because their mom and dad struggled greatly financially in ministry, they said, I will not live like that. And they, they're called, but they will, not, they will not go. And so they're chasing money. And they're, they end up sick. And they're frustrated. And things don't work out. And things break down. They don't know why. This is why. God, Jesus died so that you and I could live and have an abundant supply. But he, didn't, he, he is not for us walking around uh, covetous and lustful for material things. Oh, man. See, I, this is my introduction, and it's 825. I'm going to just have to stop. But uh, the first thing that we must conquer to qualify for increase is we must get free from the love of money. We have to get free of it. And don't think you're there. Just don't be quick to say, oh, I got that, I got that five years ago. I just don't, don't think that you, you never have any covetous tendencies. You want to know how come I know I can be that confident? Because... I have them. I have to guard against it. And the enemy is so subtle. I said the enemy is so subtle. If we read verse 10, this famous verse, people quote this all the time. And they misquote it, don't they? They misquote it. They say, for money is the root of all evil. That is not what the Bible teaches. 
That is not what the Bible says. The Bible never said that. The Bible says, for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, if you study that out, you check me, but if you study that out in the Greek, that article, the, is not there. The love of money is not the root of all evil. Lucifer didn't turn into Satan the devil because he loved money. He, he, he was proud. Pride was his thing. So the Greek literally says, for the love of money is a root of many kinds of evil. So if we succumb to the love of money, we will do evil things. Amen. And it manifests in all kinds of ways, and people justify it. People justify it. They abandon their pastor. They leave their church to go to a city where there is no spirit-filled church, where there is no pastor for $2 more an hour. What's motivating that? The love of money. The love of money. That's right. Come on. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Father, help me. Do I go there or do I just quit? Praise the Lord. Let, let's go to one more passage and we'll just, have to, we'll just have to park the car and unhook the trailer and we'll hook back up. Let's go to John chapter 12. I think you'll like this. John chapter 12. <clears throat> are, are you open? to examining your heart in a very honest and sincere way? Are you totally free from the love of money? <laughs> yeah. Are you willing, do you want to be? I want to be. If the love of money has infected my thinking and I'm, I'm being moved and motivated by some degree and I'm going to submit I probably am in some way, I want the Holy Spirit to show me, help me to see it, and give me the grace to change it. How about you? Because He would love to put a lot more resources in this ministry. I know it. I know it by the Spirit. That's His will. And He has greatly increased us. So we're not heading in a bad direction. But there's much more in a short amount of time. Hallelujah. So let's, let's look at this here and then we'll, we'll stop, I promise. In uh, John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, now every word in the Bible is important, six days before the Passover, this Passover is the last one for him. Last Supper. So he's right, he's six days from being arrested and betrayed. Okay? He came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been raised from the dead. Who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. 
Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. Your translation say anything different? Amplified says very expensive. Everyone say it out loud. Very expensive. Long story short on this, it was 300 pence, which in that day was an average laborer's wage for a whole year. So let's say a, a carpenter, an entire wage for a carpenter in today's economy, Paducah economy, somebody help me, a range, give me a range. 60, 70,000, 50, 60, let's say 50, 60, 70,000, anybody? Let's call it that. Not nothing. Okay, so she had this. And this is what it's worth. And whose is it? It's hers. Is it yours? It's not yours. It's hers. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, we don't have time, but if you go to Matthew 26, around verse 6, it adds some detail here. She dumped out this whole thing. It's like having a $60,000 bottle of perfume. Okay, very expensive. And she dumped it on Jesus. In other words, she gave the whole thing. Okay? Look at verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples. Which one? Yeah. Judas Iscariot. Simon's son, which should, just in a few days, betray him. He said, verse 5, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence, let's say $60,000, and given to the poor? Now stop. Do we, we hear this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you're, you're maybe, maybe you don't hear it, but I, I hear this kind of thing. I cannot believe that preacher spent that on that church, on that thing, on that whatever. How come that, think of how many people could have eaten. Think how many water wells they could have drilled. Do Christians talk like this? How, how come that money wasn't given and, and, and something done with the poor? I've had people come tell me, I don't think this church is doing enough for the poor. And in all essence, I, very sincerely, I said, honey, what are you doing for the poor? I said, it sounds like God has put the poor on your heart. This is a real conversation. I said, I tell you what, God hadn't talked to me about doing anything in an outreach like that, but it sounds like you have it on your heart. I'm going to put you in charge of it. And man, she started putting the brakes on me. Oh, no, uh, I just don't, no, I don't have time. But this church is not doing enough for the poor. Who are we sounding like? People quote, they talk like this as if they're quoting Jesus. But who are we quoting? Come on, who are we quoting? Who are we talking like? Is, is this one we want to take our cues from? Is this the guy that we want to get our ideology from? Now, 
if you if you like verse 5 wait till you read verse 6 this he said not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the bag And he bare or carried what was put therein. Oh, man. Are you getting this? But he sounds so self-righteous. And if you didn't know what he was up to, it might sound like if you were in that room at the dinner and you heard Judas say, looking at Mary and what she did. And Jesus didn't do anything to stop her. Was it okay? Did Jesus receive this extravagant, extremely expensive. In Matthew 26, it says, it quotes, the disciples said, why was this wasted? Wasted. Now notice, what did they call waste? Giving it in honor and worship to Jesus. This guy over here called it wasted. Can you waste money on Jesus? I don't care how much money. Can you waste it on the Lord? He said to them, leave her alone. And Matthew says, I've been in your home for a number of minutes here. And you, you give me no water to wash my face. Nobody. You didn't even give me. It was customary that you had a wash pan that you could wash your feet. He said, you, you've offered me nothing, even the most basic manners in our day, to wash my feet. And yet from the moment I've come in, this dear one has not ceased to kiss my feet. And she has done this in, in honor and anointing of my upcoming burial. And think about, you know, in their mind, they, she dumped the whole thing out on him in a moment. And how long is that going to be a blessing? It's, it's, so what? It, he, she gave $60,000 for what? So Jesus could smell good for a few hours. His first sweat, he's, it's over. In the mind of religious, church-going, deacon, board-running, you know, people. We could have paid down the church debt. How dare we send that pastor on a vacation? People talk like this. I'm serious. What's driving it? The love of money. The love of money. Called it wasted. See, where's Mary coming from? Mary had just buried her brother and spent four days grieving over him. Jesus comes and raises her brother from the dead. And he's there. And Jesus, the one who did it, is in their home. And he's about to go to the cross and pay for our redemption. And she had this most prized, precious, 
expensive thing. And she had, and it was hers. It's not yours. It wasn't Judas's. You want to know when, an indicator of you got a problem? If you find yourself worked up, upset, indignant, opinionated, critical, negative about what someone else does with their money, you got a problem. It's not your money. It didn't affect you. It didn't have anything to do with you. Not hurting you. What's it to you? We've had people leave the church. You know, talk too much about money. Well, all I do in talking about money is, is give you the scripture and receive offerings and talk to you about projects. And when the money comes in for projects, I spend it on the project. I don't go on vacation with the money you give to special projects. I understand there's been a lot of lack of integrity. I, I really do. I understand that. But we have to make, if you want to qualify for increase, we've got to think right. And anytime you find yourself getting hmm, hot under the collar about what someone else did with their money, then you you got a problem. I mean, you got a big problem. Why did Judas make this big fuss? He wanted that to be sold because he's Jesus' staff person. He's the staff accountant. And, and Jesus must be prospering because he's been stealing out of that bag. And no one's found, I know no one found out because you've got to know if Peter found out that this guy's stealing out of the, the bag, if you know anything about Peter, he just skinned this guy alive. Not only that, you got James and John. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. They would have taken Judas out behind the woodshed. So how is Judas getting money out of the bag without, there's got to be a lot in there. He didn't care anything about the poor. Listen, if you care about a cause, do something. What are you, if you care about the poor, I want to know, what are you doing right now with your money? With your money. Don't get all righteous and tell me what I ought to do with my money. What are you doing with your money? I know how much I gave to the gospel last year. How much money did you give to the gospel? Don't tell me about the poor. Number one, you see Mary and what she had a right heart and a worshipful heart. And you see, Jesus, he received it. So is it, if Jesus received this, it's only going to last a few hours, and it's over. And it's very expensive, $60,000. Well, is it okay for you to have something really nice? I mean, something expensive. And what if you spent it or used it on something that's over in a moment, over in a couple of days? Listen, if, it, if it's right for Jesus, then don't tell me it's not right for me. We don't have time. I'm trying to close. 842. But Psalm 112 says, for the one who trusts God, the one who honors God, the one who reveres God, it says wealth and riches shall be in his house. Let's think about that. They have a house. 
and it says his house. Technically, I don't have a house. U.S. Bank has a house and lets me live there. As long as I send them my money every month. Every month, I own a little bit more of my house. This says, wealth and riches shall be in his house. That means it's a paid-for house. And it's not an empty paid-for house. There's nice stuff in the house. And the Bible says in Psalm 112, it came from God. Don't tell me that it's not okay to have something really nice and something really expensive and use it and enjoy it. The thing is, you just can't love it. Can't love it. I don't love money. I'm not living for money. And God, as my witness, the longer I live and walk with God, telling you the truth, the less and less I think about money. And the less I think about money, the more money comes. I'm not impressed with money. We got more money in the church uh, reserve than we have ever had. And it keeps going up by the big chunks. And everything is abundantly taken care of. And I'm trying to figure out what do I do with all this money. Now, if you start feeling yourself getting hot under the collar and opinionated, that's what I mean. We have big buildings to build. We have things to do. We have things to invest in. And I'm totally open. Who can I help? Who can I help? And we have been helping people. But see, I'm, I'm endeavoring to be plan-minded. Plan-minded. I'm living for the plan. And the money's for the plan. I'm not thinking about money. And whatever it costs to accomplish the plan is worth it. You you can't spend. It's never waste if it advances the plan of God. You could never waste it. And you know it's the plan of God, McGee's, and all of us, for your family to be abundantly supplied. That's That's the plan of God. So don't ever feel bad. Not that you do, but don't ever feel bad. The Bible says He gives us richly all things to enjoy. But I'm not going to let those things He gives me to enjoy to take me away from Him. Never. Never. God help me. Never. The moment I drove that truck off the lot, it started to decay. Everything you got, everything you got is going to be burned up. It is so temporary. So temporary. This is my favorite shirt right here. I wear it almost every week. It's that new, but, and I just really like it. You know, it's already got stains on it. A few more stains I can't get out, it's going to have to go to the trash bin. Money and stuff, it's just a tool. You just use it. Don't be impressed by it. No, no amount of money is worth you losing your soul. No amount of money is, is worth forfeiting the plan of God. I'd happily go back to the rented duplex if I needed to to be in the plan. It's, it's just stuff. 
We enjoy. God gives us stuff to enjoy. And God wants to give us a whole lot more to use for His plan to help others. Amen. How many churches, how many people throughout the region could we edify and help and enlighten and stir if the message that God's given us gets into their household? How much money is that worth? They don't know about us. Most people out here, they don't know about us. But, you know, we're all doing a, probably a poor job of spreading the word. And, you know, I'm not down on you. I, I, you know, I, whatever. But if we multiplied that and people got saved and people got healed and marriages got put back together and we were able to multiply through television ministry many thousands of times what's happening here week by week yeah. in small measure... How, how much money is that worth? Is it, is it worth 500000 One soul. One soul. Sitting in Bayanan. Who don't know we're here. And watches a program. And gets born again. Spirit filled. Hope filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo! Is that worth? What's it worth? Anything. Anything, right? And he can get it to us. Can he get it through us? Okay, I'm done. Hallelujah. Well, I, I, I hope you're okay with this because I just scratched the little bit of the tiny surface. Amen. Amen. Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, I have more than 30 pieces of silver. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think about betraying the Messiah. For 30 pieces of silver. But he did. That's how little he, that's how twisted and evil the love of money made him. That's why Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Amen. We get really free of it. We get it firmly beneath our feet. There's no amount of money he can't entrust us with. Because he knows it won't change us. We're not impressed with it. We're thankful, but we're not impressed with it. Amen. Father, in the name of...